0: Good morning. I'm super excited to get to speak with you this morning. Uh not necessarily in Brian's absence um as per usual, but uh just kind of in his resting after getting in a late night of spending time with our church planner over the weekend. If you don't know me, my name is Austin Roberts, I'm the student pastor here. I told you a little bit about connect groups earlier. Connect group for me is one of really my favorite parts of the week for a lot of reasons. It's uplifting. I get to spend time with people that I love. But this past week uh, my wife and I made it a mistake at Connect Group, and it was mostly due to their kind of agging us on and pointing us mostly, and I'm looking at those of you who were there, it's y'all's fault, because we were there, and we were drinking coffee, and you know, just celebrating Jesus, and uh mostly just hanging out, and my wife was drinking out of this mug at Ben and Laura's house. Now my wife is not a mom, okay, but she was drinking out of this mug, and inside I was watching her do this, and I was just like, man, there are lots of laughs to be had because of this. So I took a picture of her with this mom mug, and, and it's kind of funny, I was kind of thinking of going with the dog mom thing, because we have dogs and we love them. And Ben, I think it was Ben or Laura, one of them goes, you know, we also have a dad mug. And so we were like, yes, bring it. And so we took pictures with them and posted them on the internet, and for hours hours we were receiving texts and calls and when I go to bed at night I just leave my phone in the kitchen and so I woke up the next morning and drank my coffee just scrolling just scrolling through the is this for real are, are you kidding me one of them was my mom it was great um but anyway no we are not parents just FYI but Leading into the semester, I kind of felt a little bit like a parent. This is as close as it gets to parenting for me, okay, because as the student pastor, I have a group of small group leaders, and we were kind of planning what we wanted to go into for the semester, what we wanted to teach. And there was a list of things, and I was planning on being somewhere else, but I kind of got off track because I was thinking about our senior class. Just to give you a little insight into where I'm going this morning, we were a really great senior class this year. And if you know some of them, if any of them are your kids, you know they're awesome. They were freshmen when I got here, and I've loved getting to spend time with them. Don't cry, Ely Pots. I've loved getting to spend time with them, getting to know them, and getting to watch them grow in Christ. It's been really cool to watch this senior class in particular grow. And because of that, I've been praying something very... Um, really just very um, special for this class, and and I have a a few lines that I've been praying every week for this class, and I'll share them with you. Mostly that they would grow up to be mighty men and women of God, that they would be people of character, integrity, and purity, that they would have really big views of God as they enter into the real world, and that they would be leaders of men and followers of God. And so because of that, I I kind of took what I was going to teach at the beginning of the semester and put on the back burner because I really was, was being hit by some wisdom literature. I was really being hit by a certain section of Scripture that I wanted to impart. I wanted to give to the seniors before they graduated because I wanted them to know these things going into life. In particular, in wisdom literature, we were, we were talking about Ecclesiastes. And, and the great thing about Ecclesiastes is that it's just very, very practical. It's just very practical information. But it is a little different than the other wisdom books, right? If you look at Proverbs, it's going to be a little bit different than Ecclesiastes. And if you're taking a look at Ecclesiastes, it's kind of book-ended by the main statement, okay? And the main statement of Ecclesiastes, the, the assumed author of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, and his main statement that he's trying to give us through this book is hevel. It's a word called hevel. And it's, it's going to sound kind of bleak when I tell you, but, but essentially at the very beginning of Ecclesiastes and the very end of Ecclesiastes, he says, everything is Hevel. Everything in the world is Hevel. And, and your Bible probably would translate that word as meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Life is meaningless. That sounds pretty bleak. You're like, why would you want to tell our seniors that when they graduate? That is, it sounds like you need to call a counselor, man. <laughs> It's not necessarily a great translation, and, and we don't really have a great word for this word hevel, but, but the whole idea behind the book of Ecclesiastes is this. It's kind of that there are parts of life that oftentimes we chase that are hevel. They're meaningless. And so often in life... We're reaching for something that we really can't even grab. Solomon uses the analogy that a lot of times it's like we're reaching for a smoke or we're reaching for a vapor, and it's something that we can't tangibly hang on to. And so through the book of Ecclesiastes, we find that Solomon, through through the majority of it, is pointing out parts of life that, hey, this is not worth your time because it is not lasting. It's going to be like smoke. It's going to be like chasing the wind. But there are parts of your life that are worth chasing after there are parts of your life that are worth grabbing onto and that's kind of what I wanted to impart for our seniors as they leave as they graduate in the coming months but as I'm going through this and I'm teaching it on Wednesdays and I'm writing small group material for it I'm realizing as I'm talking to my small group leaders that this is so practical for all of us this is so important for all of us because no matter if you're about to graduate high school this crew over here, or you're the parent of one of them, or you're a 25-year-old man or a much older man, so often we find that we are chasing the wind. We are reaching for vapors and the things that we are trying to grasp in life are things that are not lasting. And so, man, I'll just tell you that God has been beating me up through Ecclesiastes, telling me, Austin, what are the things that you you are actually focusing on? And what are the things that you should be focusing on? And so if you're a Christ follower this morning, I'm really excited because I'm going to just go through some of the highlights that we've got to talk to our students about in Ecclesiastes. I want our students to have the maximum amount of joy in Christ. When they they leave our ministry, I want them to be looking for the maximum amount of joy out of Christ and to be avoiding unnecessary pain. And I think that if we are Christ followers, that's our goal. Find your joy in Christ. That's what lasts and walk away from unnecessary pain because that's not what lasts. And so if, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm just going to jump right in. You can turn to me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I will give you a warning as we jump into that, as you turn there. And I've, and I've told our students this. Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, any piece of wisdom literature is kind of weird, and it's hard to read it in a linear fashion. It's almost like Solomon just has a massive case of ADD the way that i've told our students because it works for them is that it's almost like when you're reading ecclesiastes or proverbs when you're reading this it's almost like you're looking at someone's facebook snapchat or instagram story it's just kind of blurbs of the day right sometimes you'll you'll see solomon mention something in chapter 7 and you have to slide on to chapter 10 before you see that he finishes the statement it's kind of like listening to a youth pastor and so don't be caught off guard if I jump from chapter 7 to chapter 10 and back again, because it's kind of the way that Solomon writes. So let's dig in. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1, it says this, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. So we're going to pause there for just a second, because I'm going to kind of set the tone for the morning with this passage. Now, Students, you'll, you'll kind of remember this. I'm going to tell you, just to give you guys a little context since I've only read one verse. In, the, in Solomon's time, running water was was not something that was in everyday life, right? They didn't have faucets. They did not have showers. And so because of this, showering every day, which we highly encourage, middle school boys... <laughs> Was not a thing. It, it, it really wasn't. And so, so often they were walking <laughs> through life with these fine perfumes and ointments on trying to mask their manly musk. Because you don't want to be sitting next to that cute girl, again, middle school boys, and stank. Alright? So, since they could not shower every day, so often they were putting on these perfumes. That does not mean that that is biblical. Acts body spray is a shower enhancement, not a shower replacement. Okay, moving on. So a good name is better than fine perfume in the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. What is he saying here? He's essentially saying, hey, just just setting the tone for the morning, better than smelling good, better than your body smelling good, is your name being good? Is, is your reputation, is your character being good when people mention it? You see, in Solomon's time, a name carried a lot. It wasn't just Sarah or Mary Morgan. Your name carried a lot. Think about the names that you hear that don't stand out, and the names that you hear that you ought, there's automatically a reaction to it, right? Cindy or Cardi. We know Cardi and what her name probably smells like, all right? We're good there, right? Billy or Barack. When you hear names, you, you, have, you have an immediate reaction to it, and it would have been the exact same thing. A good name is better than fine perfume. So, what is he saying? He's saying be very intentional about your reputation, be cautious, conscious about what your name carries. And so, as, as we go into this, and students, you know where I'm going to go, as we go into this, a really good question for you to ask is how does your name smell right now? Laugh, it's okay. How does your name smell right now? When you walk into spaces, when you walk into the job site or the office, when you walk into your house after work and your kids see you for the first time, when your name is brought up in casual conversation, what aroma fills the nostrils of the people that are talking? It's kind of funny, but maybe a better way to ask it is, what are you known for? What What is your reputation? What is your character? How does your name smell? Solomon would tell us that our name is very crucial to who we are. The way that people think about you is way more important than the way that you think that you smell. What you're known for is super important. And we'll get into why if you're a Christian. If I'm looking at myself, if I'm talking about myself, if I'm, if I'm analyzing myself, and I'm saying, okay, how does my name smell? Austin, Texas is kind of a hippie town, but that's okay, Right? How does my name smell? What am I known for? My My first reaction is to say, okay, I have, some, I have some things that I probably wouldn't want to mention. I have some issues. I have some small things. But if I'm being completely honest, I'm a pretty prideful person. And so my immediate reaction to that is, how does my name smell? Okay, there are some small things over here, but I'm also really good at this. I'm in the Bible like six hours a day. I'm in seminary. That's pretty good, right? I haven't cheated on my wife. I haven't killed anybody. These are all good things, and they kind of outweigh all the small things that are going on over here. But Solomon, and again, I'm going to tell you, Instagram story, Facebook story, Solomon is going to slide on down to chapter 10, verse 1, and he kind of addresses this as well. It said, dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink. He's back on this perfume kick. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And you're like, what in the world is he talking about? He's essentially saying this. Hey, if we're talking about the perfume of life, if we're talking about our name, if we're talking about smelling good, just a couple of small things, a couple of tiny flies, can ruin your Axe body spray, gentlemen, right? It can ruin your perfume. It can ruin your reputation. So what does that mean for us? Even these small things that I am setting aside have the potential to make my character and reputation stink. And so often those things are the things that I really, I don't let anybody else in on. They're definitely the things that I hide beneath the surface. And a lot of times they're the things that I think that I am entitled to. If, if I'm just honest about it, it, you know, so many of us are wrapped up in bitterness. So many of us are wrapped up in bitterness. We look at the things that people have done to us, and the worst thing about it is that we think that that's what we deserve. We've been wronged, and so we deserve to be bitter. We deserve to hold that inside, and we can say that we forgive them, but we deserve that. It's not hurting anybody. It's below the surface level, being bitter. So many of us live lives that are just wrapped up in envy and jealousy, right? We we see the people around us. We want the things they want or that they have. We wish that our scale read the same way theirs did or that what our mirror reflected looked exactly like their mirror's reflection, right? We look at their houses and we look at the cars they drive. We look at how perfect their family seems when ours is just like knots, right? So many of us are living lives of jealousy and envy. A lot of us beneath the surface are living... With lust, right? And it comes out of a genuine need for intimacy, but that genuine need for intimacy is perverted into isolation. We live lives where we're doing things behind doors and we're being tempted by things that we wouldn't tell anybody. Those small things matter. They're all flies in our ointment. And what Solomon would tell us is that these flies, although they are are below surface level, although they are small and nobody can see them, they can cause our character to reek. They they can cause our reputation to be slandered, and eventually, whether people know them or not, what is in our heart will come out, and people will see that, and our character is dashed aside. I, I really like the way that Paul says this in Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians two Corinthians two three three. It says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered to us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Don't miss this. Paul is saying you yourself are Christ's letter to the nonbelievers around you. And you say, okay, Solomon was a long time ago. He was even before Jesus. Why does this apply to me? Your character matters when it comes to the kingdom. So often I feel like I'm giving the enemy ammunition to shoot me down in my pursuits for the kingdom. Because of those things that I, those small flies that I'm putting into my ointment. Because of, because of those small things that I keep under the surface, I'm starting to stink. Right? My reputation is starting to stink. It's very easy to say, Look, we're, we're living lives for Christ, but not to focus on our own reputation. Not that you would be known as profitable, not that you would be known as successful, not that you would be known as just a good person, but that you would be known as a person of Christ, and with that comes a good reputation. With that comes people reacting to you being a letter from Christ. Well, what is it about that guy? We talked about that with the students this week, being authentic. Are we authentic letters for Christ? Are we, are we a good replication of that? So, secondly, we're going to jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And this is kind of just a good checkup on this. This is kind of a way to make sure of this, because let's be honest, sometimes it's hard to smell yourself. I don't know if you were, I don't know if you were like this, but when I was a middle school boy, right, you're in the locker room, there's an axe cloud just floating around, right? You kind of just walk into it. But you do that thing, boys that have been in locker rooms and looking at you, you know, because you're smiling at me, you look at your friend, and you're like, hey, am I good? And they're like, good, right? Second thing, and it's going to be funny just like the other, but friends smell friends, right? Friends smell friends. We're going to talk about our relationships for a second. We talked about our character. Solomon has addressed our character this morning. I just want to talk a little bit about our relationships. So flip on over to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 3, as he continues this thought. Even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense, and he shows everyone that he's a fool. What is Solomon talking about here? Let me kind of help connect the dots. Essentially what he's saying is it's really easy to spot a fool because he's the guy that's walking in the middle of the road. He's the one that is on the wrong side of the road walking towards traffic, right? He's he's that guy. And let me just uh, give you an example, right? We've all had these friends, my best friend, and talk to him now. He's married, it's good, we're all good. But in college he was just notorious for getting new girlfriends and getting new haircuts or getting new girlfriends and changing his clothes, Right, It was that guy that you would see, and you're like, man, I love him. And then he would have a new girlfriend. We're like, oh, no, right? And the next week, it's just a completely different persona. And you're just like, what is happening, right? And then they would date for like four months, and they would break up, and we would all be like, man, thank goodness we knew that she was not the one, right? What did he need from me? He needed me to tell him when he was getting a new haircut or dyeing his hair, hey, she's probably not the one for you. Your foolishness is obvious, Right? Quit. You only have so much hair. All right, stop. On the flip side of that though, and I shared this with the students as the example, on the on the flip side of that, he really could have saved me some heartache a couple of times, right? There was a time where I'd been dating Caitlin for probably two years. Her birthday came around. He and I were getting coffee that morning, we're going over an assignment. I don't remember what it was, and I was like, you know what would be really funny? I'm just gonna like act like I forgot her birthday. And he was like, I don't think that's a good idea, Austin. And I was like, it's fine, right? And that night I was on the phone with a crying Caitlin because she thought that I forgot her birthday all day. My foolishness was very obvious, and he tried to point it out to me, right? Solomon is telling us, spotting a fool is not a hard thing. It is easy to spot a fool. Why do I tell you this? Because ultimately, if we're honest with ourselves, we're all going to take part in some foolishness at some times. It's kind of our human nature. We just take part in foolishness. Now let me ask you, who are you surrounding yourself with? And I'll jump back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, but when, when you know that you're about to walk into foolishness, when you know that you, you're eventually going to make decisions that are not necessarily honoring to Christ or are good for your future, who are you surrounding yourself with? I found that the worst decisions that I have made are when I have an audience or a group of people around me that are applauding the stupidity that I'm doing, right? The ones that say, hey, that's probably a good idea, or that would be really funny, or that won't affect your GPA. Those guys, right? The worst decisions that I have made are when I have insulated myself with people they are just applauding my mistakes. They think it's funny. They think it's cool. But if we're serious, if we're being honest, on the dark nights of the soul when we're grieving or when we're hurting, those people will not be there and their applause will not be there and their laughter isn't going to help us. They're not helping us spiritually. Solomon puts it, Like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, if we jump back over there in verse 5, it says, It is better to listen to the rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the songs of a fool. For like a crackling of a burning thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. What he's essentially saying is that if you make a fire out of thorns, out of briars, what does it do? It's really loud for a second, but it burns up very quickly. He's saying if you put that under a pot, you're not getting any warmth from it, it's very loud. So is the applause of fools. It's very loud, but it's not helping you at all. He says the rebuke of a friend is much more better for us than the crackling of this thorny fire, than the the laughter of of fools. So let me ask you one more time. Do you have people that are smelling you? Do we, do you have people that are smelling the perfume that you put out? Do you have people that are checking your character? Do you have people that are, that are intimate enough with you to know what's going on? But honest with you enough to call you out when it happens. We need to be known fully. We need to be loved unconditionally. We need to somebody that will sharpen us unapologetically. Do you have those people in your life? Do you have people that are making you better, that are encouraging you? Do you have people that you say, hey, you're really, really good at that, and I'm not, so I'm kind of following this. And you're not allowed to cry, Alex, but I shared with my Connect group this past week, I go to the gym with Alex and Chase several times a week, and it's not because I'm strong, right? Mostly they kind of make me look like a little kid. But I realized months ago, and I, lo- I, I love bragging on the people that work at Riverbend because we have an awesome staff. I love those folks, and they make me better. But Alex and Chase exemplify so well the joy of Christ. You get to see Alex do it on stage every week. And I met them, and I saw them, and I said, they are really, really good at being filled with joy, and I want to maximize the joy in my life. Because I tend to be pessimistic. Do you have people in your life that you are intentionally being around because they make you better Christians? Do you have people in your life that are asking you hard questions? Do you have people in your life that will impart wisdom to you even when you don't want it? Hey, that is not a responsible way to spend money. Hey, whatever you did last weekend that was not good for your family. Hey, I notice you're enrolled in classes. You should probably go, right? That's a good thing. Hey, have you talked to your son? Hey, are you doing this? Hey, have, have you spent time with your wife? We need people in our lives who are looking out for us. Proverbs 27.6 says, The wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. If you are insulating yourself with people that only tell you what you want to hear, that is a dangerous game. That is a dangerous game, and it's one that we honestly as Christ followers can't afford to follow. If you have friends who are doing this, if you have friends that are rebuking you but they are wise, do not run from that. Don't run from that. Appreciate them. Don't isolate them. Because they are the ones that actually care about you, the ones that will grow with you in Christ and call you out when you're being foolish. Those are the people that we need in our lives, and we need to be grateful for them. Again, I'll say it. Surround yourself with people who will know you thoroughly, love you unconditionally, And they will sharpen you unapologetically. They're the people that we need in our lives. The last thing I'm going to point out with Solomon, then I'm going to have us do something together, is just this. Solomon knows what we're supposed to look like. And and I'm going to use an example from Acts, but this is kind of what he's doing all through Ecclesiastes. He's pushing us towards godliness. He's saying that godliness is the thing that is worth grasping onto. It's solid. It's something that we can hold. It's something that will stay. It's lasting. And I use this example with the kids, and I think it's really funny, but I also think that it's something that we want for them, and it's something that we want for you. But I need women, you're going to get this. Men, you're not going to get this, okay? So this past Christmas, this past Thanksgiving, I don't remember which one it was, um, my wife is a woman, and so what that means is when somebody has a baby, you hold it, right? And so she told me after Thanksgiving, she told me after Christmas, I don't remember which one it is, she's like, I just love babies, and I'm like, eww somewhere else <laughs> no <laughs> she's like i just love babies i love to smell their heads and i was driving and i was just like that is really weird right but she's told me and, and some of the girls and they're laughing because i asked them because they're the only reference point that i have is do babies have like a certain smell on their heads and she's like yeah and they're talking, yes they do right weird. <laughs> She's like, I just love to hold babies and I love to smell their heads. But I realized that when you go to thank that, that can't be a good depiction of that. Because when you go to Thanksgiving or you go to Christmas, what happens when somebody has just had a baby, they come in the door, they're holding this baby. And I'm like the other way. I don't want anything to, I don't want to hold it. BJ Emerson told me one time, the only, the only bad things can come from me holding your baby. I hold, drop it. It's not good. Right. I use that. When somebody comes in holding a baby, what happens? The mom does not touch it for the rest of the day, right? They're cooking in the kitchen. They're getting ready. They're just enjoying not holding that baby, right? Because it goes from mama to granny to auntie to all, like, it it doesn't touch the ground. It doesn't touch the parents' hands. And at the end of the day, they're like, okay, here's your baby. And you're like, oh, thanks for watching it all day, right? But I can only imagine that whenever you get your baby back, and you go to take a weird smell from its head, because that's what moms do, I guess, it cannot smell like a baby, right? It smells like Meemaw, or Grammy, or Auntie. It smells like an older woman, right? Why? Because they all wear the same perfume, and now it's on the baby, right? (laughs) But I realized as we were talking about this, and as I was reading an act at the time, that is exactly what we want. Sorry, Brian. That is exactly... I can't believe I'm about to make an analogy of this. That is exactly what we want out of our kids. Not to smell like grandmas, but I do want you to smell like Christ. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is in Acts. It's in Acts chapter 4, and I'll only read one verse out of it, but I'll tell you what happens. The Sadducees come up because they see that Peter and John are out there, and they're like, what is going on? We need to see what's going on. There's, there's a bit of a uh, crowd going on over there. And in Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 13, it says, "...when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated, untrained men, no seminary, they hadn't been serving in a church, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus." What a cool picture that is. That is exactly what I want for our seniors when they leave. And that is exactly what I want for us. I want people to be able to see us and say, I don't know what it is about that guy. Maybe he hasn't been to seminary. Maybe he hasn't been working in a church. But that guy on my job site, that guy in my office, that lady that I see every day, she has been with Jesus. There is something different about her. Just like when you get that baby back and you know that it's been with Grandma, we should be able to go out and people know that we have spent time with somebody who has changed our lives. That is exactly what we want. And so I'll just ask you, as we're leaving here each week, is that what is happening? Can people tell that we have been brought from dead to life? Can people tell that we have spent time with the Father? And are you praying those things over your kids? Whether they're small or whether they're about to graduate, are we praying that they they would be set apart, that we, we would be able to see that? I'll go back one more time. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It says, a good name is better than fine perfume. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. How does your name smell? And, and what I mean by that is, what are you known for? And what I mean by that is, are you going to be able to be effective for the kingdom? Are you taking note of where you are in life? Are you conscious about the things that we are doing and how they will affect our witness for the people around us? Can people tell that we've been with Jesus? Are we even convicted about that? Are we even conscious of that? I'm going to do something a little different, and I kind of wanted to to leave some time for it. Um, But but what I'm going to say is, as we go into an altar call, it's going to be a little different. But I will say, if you don't know Jesus, I would love to tell you about Him. I hope that I smell enough like Him that, that you would know that I know Jesus, but I would love to tell you what He's done in my life. I would love to tell you about how He's changed my life. If you do know Jesus as we go into this time, I just would ask you, just take count of it. What do I look like? Am I, am I resembling Him enough? Would I look like Him if I was looking at me? But the third thing, and, and, and I'm really excited about this, and it's something that I really want for us, is as we're going into worship and as Alex and the worship team come up, if you have students in here, I would ask that you would pray these things over your kids. Whether it is at the altar, whether it's at their seats, if you have students, if you have children in here, if you're a K-group leader and you've been over them, if you've had anything to do with any of our students' lives, pray that they would grow up to be mighty men and women of God. Pray that they would be people of character, integrity, and purity. Pray that they would have big views of God as they walk out of your house and out of here. Pray that they would be leaders of men and followers of God. I work with them every week, and so it's always on my mind. But this is our duty, right? This is our duty, one, to take count of where we are in life, but also to project them out into the world, that they would be ministers themselves, that they would be missionaries themselves. And so I know it's a little awkward, but I'm the youth guy, so I get to do that. So as we're worshiping, if you have a student, grab them, pray over them. If, if, if there's someone in your life that you feel like you need to pray this over in the room, grab them, pray with them. That's why we're here. We are a family and that's what we do. Father God, I thank you for this morning and I, I just pray that Lord Solomon's word would resonate with us, that we want to be used by your kingdom or for your kingdom, God. I would pray that God, we would know enough about ourselves. We would take count of our spiritual walk enough to know how we can and can't be affected. God, we, we, we talk about restoring community, and the truth of the matter is is if people don't know that we've been with you, it's going to be very hard to do that. God, I pray that we would be a people that so much resemble you that Hernando thinks we're weird. God, I pray that our students would so much resemble you that their schools think they're weird, but the truth of the matter is that the world wants what we have. God, I pray that we would be fervent in supplying it to them. God, that we would take You wherever we go. Lord, I pray for families as they're here this morning, that parents would care about where their kids are spiritually, God. I pray that we would be honest with ourselves about where we are spiritually, Lord, and that You would do a work through Riverbend Church. We love You and praise You. Amen.